Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed to help nonprofit organizations like yours raise more money, get your stress levels down, and achieve greater success at your fundraising events. My name is Danny Hooper. I'm a professional fundraising auctioneer and the co-host of Events with Benefits, along with my fellow co-hosts, Ian Loth from Winspire and Renee Zhao from Donation Match. And today's episode is always coming to you from sunny Southern California, the world headquarters of Winspire. And uh, today's guest one of the top auctioneers in North America, her name is Cheryl Palmer. Uh, one of the top auctioneers in North America, her name is Cheryl Parker from Partage Auctions in San Diego. And I uh, first had the pleasure of meeting Cheryl a number of years ago at the very first ever Benefit Auctioneer Specialist Certification, uh, which was held down in San Diego. She's come a long way in the years since uh, we first met and is a fundraising auctioneer. Are they all alike? Is is one the same as the next? Not always. And she's got some real unique spins on how to generate extra revenues at your event. Yeah, you know, Cheryl was really good today uh, talking about the pre-planning that goes on goes into uh, you know a live auction, as well as you know just kind of the things you need to consider when you are trying to calculate the spending capacity of your audience. And it's something that we always uh, miscalculate, we always underestimate. Uh, but as far as what sort of items, what sort of valuable items you should put in your live auction, uh, it's it's really easy to to kind of scoff and say, no one's going to spend that kind of money. But uh, she reiterates it today. Uh, it's so important to make sure you're putting high-valued items in your auctions uh, that uh, and, a, and have a professional fundraising auctioneer that knows how to sell those items up on stage and extract that money from your audience. So uh, yeah, a lot of great messages in here today, a lot of great tangible advice, and uh, a really, really fantastic resource from Cheryl uh, that she's going to offer you there at the end. So definitely stick around. And I'm so glad to have Cheryl on this show because I've actually had the pleasure of her being the auctioneer for many auctions that I've been involved with. And I have to say, uh, my son's school PTA was one of those that waffled on hiring a professional auctioneer. We did it one year without. Finally, we're able to approve getting Cheryl the next year. And, you know, we made more than twice the money back um, from what we paid for her. So super glad to see that she's actually offering her very special proprietary um, pre-planning book, uh, the event planning Bible, as some people will call it, uh, during our episode today. So be sure to listen and find out how to get that. All right. I was very interested to hear about her background as an auctioneer prior to getting into the fundraising auction space, and uh, she's going to share that story with us. Let's join Cheryl Parker right now. So Cheryl Parker, glad to have you joining us uh, today on Events with Benefits. So thank you very much for taking the time. And maybe we can uh, just start with a little bit of uh, your background. I know you're a professional fundraising auctioneer. I had the pleasure of actually meeting you a number of years ago uh, in San Diego at the very first certification class for the Benefit Auctioneer Specialist. So um, I know we met back then, but uh, you've come a long way in your career since that time. Maybe you can just uh, share with us some of your story. Yeah, actually, it was an honor to be in that first class of the BAS um, certification. I actually started as a fine art auctioneer, traveling all around the country doing art auctions in some of the major cities, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, everywhere. And the reason I got into benefit auctions is some of my art clients, some of my big collectors also happen to be 
organizers of very large charity organizations doing their events. And I kept getting asked, you know, are, are you available to do this type of thing? And I would say, no, no, I just do the art auctions right now. That's, you know, a lot of work. And when I decided I to want, well, I actually was doing the art auctions while I was still pregnant. But once I became a mom, I decided it was a lot of work to keep flying around. And I wanted something that centralized me more um, to the San Diego area. So I opened up my business at that point to doing the benefit auctioneers and thus got into the BAS certification, which is the benefit um, auctioneer specialist and wanted to get trained specifically to work with charity organizations, nonprofit organizations to amplify the messaging and amplify how to do an auction and raise the most money possible. Is it actually a cost to nonprofit organizations to hire a professional fundraising auctioneer? That is such a great question because I think that is one that many people look at as black and white. They see a proposal and they see a fee and they see it that way. And what I try to explain to them is, first of all, don't ever look at that fee. Look at how much I can bring to the event and how much you're going to lose if you don't have an auction, a professional auctioneer. And I have so many references that can attest to that, that who started with not hiring a professional auctioneer, finally got a committee to approve putting out a little bit of funds to hire somebody and, and coming back and saying, you know, we've been losing money all these years because the fee we paid you, we made back tenfold. Sure. So absolutely, I think it's something that I, I, I always say to my organizations, you're willing to put out money for flowers, you're willing to put out money for centerpieces for for uh, a DJ for band. Those are unfortunately things that don't bring in revenue on the day or the evening of your auction. And the most important thing is where is that where are the where is the revenue going to come from and the revenue is going to come from a skilled auctioneer who's a professional and has been professionally trained we've said it many times on events with benefits that nonprofits if they're planning any kind of a fundraising event they need to stop thinking like a charity and start thinking like a business and business certainly understands the concept that there's a huge difference between cost and investment and as as we know uh, you know investing in a fundraising auctioneer is definitely going to offer a, an attractive ROI another thing about business and thinking like a business no successful business ever launched without, well, probably not, or very few successful businesses launched without a business plan. How important is it, in your opinion, for nonprofits to pre-plan their events and, in effect, create a business plan for their event? I think that um, you're right. I think that sometimes they, they look at the event as, as a social hour, and, and I always encourage them, yes, make part of it a social hour. We want people to have fun. We want people to be engaged in in, in the cause. But it's important to outline how those funds are going to be raised. And that is that is part of the business plan. Where can we maximize everything that we can do to raise the most money? And one of the things when you bring in a professional auctioneer as well is – I know in my case, I can't speak for all professional auctioneers because I have heard some just literally walk into the event. But most of us, it, from the moment you book us – it may be six months, a year out. We will help you every step of the way and give you every bit of our training to help you put on the best part of the auction that you can do. And I, I kind of say to my, my organizations that I don't care what flowers you choose. I don't care what colors you're, what color scheme, what your theme is going to be. I am focused, laser focused on the auction part of your event. 
because that is what my job is. That's what you're bringing me in to do is to raise as much money as I can and giving them very, very valuable suggestions on how to do that. They should build that into their business plan. All right, Cheryl, what are some of those cool ideas that you personally use with your clients to add additional income streams or revenue streams to their event? Well, I think, you know, one thing that I have to say is that I, I like to tell my organizations don't try to pack too much in, but put enough opportunities in there for people to give back because it'll come in different forms. It'll come maybe in, a, in raffles. It'll come maybe in little fun games or um, other things they may do. It may come in the appeal, the, the fund to need. It may come in your live auction. It may come in your silent auction. So be well-rounded, but don't put too many things that you start diluting the focus of what you're there and the focus of where you're bringing in the top dollars. And if we were to select a number of, uh, let's call them income streams, let's consider the live auction as one income stream, your silent is an income stream, your raffles is an income stream, what number would you cap the, the, what number would you suggest we use as a cap for the number of times that we're going and asking people for money? Um, I think that if you can do it and be creative with it, people won't realize that they're being asked for money. And that's the key, most importantly. But I would say, you know, from a raffle standpoint, again, I don't like, if they want to do a lot of raffle items, I tell them, save it to the end of the auction. Let's warm up the live auction. We'll do a couple just to get everybody focused about on the stage, just to get everybody excited, get the energy up. But if you're going to do long, long lines of raffle, nobody wants to sit through all of those until the very end when you've already got, I, my, my theory's always been get the money first and give away all the stuff later. And exactly. raffles, I tell people about raffles, if it's something that you can sell in a silent auction, you will make more money doing it than you will in a raffle. Raffles are for people who want to have fun, who have the peer pressure of saying of being asked to buy a raffle ticket. It's all part of the experience that they know they have to participate in as a guest. And it's kind of the prizes are secondary. So I tell people, if you look at an item and it's a good item that you could either put in a live or a silent auction, it doesn't belong in your raffle. All right. How many, uh, how many items do you like to keep your live auction to? What do you recommend for the number of uh, live auction items? I'm glad you brought that up because that's probably the one question I get asked the most. And my answer, I think, will surprise a lot of people. And the answer is there is no set number. It's about the quality of the items. I do one event that I've been doing, oh gosh, 10, over 10 years every year. And they have over 60 items in their live auction. And the reason that they do that is that's their entertainment too. It's fun. They put some great items in there. The, the energy in the room just stays up. People get into bidding wars. It's really exciting. And they just decided that every year that that works for them. It doesn't work for everybody. So what I usually say is to my clients is don't look at the number. Look at the quality of the items because sometimes they'll put in, and here's a good example, a $10,000 pearl necklace. Now, Jewelry is very subjective. It may be worth ten thousand. It may sound good at ten thousand. That wow, this is a really high end item. It should be in our our live auction. But it may be very gaudy or very not something that would a appeal to the general population. So that's the other thing I I say. Ask your committee if all of your committee would would bid on something like that. It belongs in your live auction. If one only one person raises their hand and said, "Well, I like it," it's probably going to be a silent auction item. 
So. Well, that's a, that's a good point that you make. And, and one of the things that we share with our clients, uh, you know, if you're working with a smaller organizations, uh, a smaller organization, sometimes they'll get real excited because they've gone out and they've been able to, say, acquire a, a, a yacht trip or a nice cruise uh, for the live auction. And our first word of advice is make sure you've got a few people in that room in your audience that can afford to bid on the live auction. And lots of times they'll go out and they'll get a really expensive item because Mr. Moneybags in the local community is going to come out and be a guest at the event. So they want to make sure they've got something for him to buy or her to buy. And they'll go out and get a really high-end expensive item. But unless you've got a few people with money in the room, uh, that can often fall flat and end up selling far short of its value. Have you had that kind of experience happen? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I, I request of all my clients that they send me a copy of all the live auction items and I will help them create the order of it for one. Because the order is really, really important, as you know, that you can't fall flat on your face. You can't put your most expensive item first. You can't start off with something like that. What you want to do is build energy in the room because that always feeds the bidding. And sometimes an organization will put something in their silent and then they send me the list ahead of time and I look at it and I go, wow, no, this should be in the live because this is what I would call a general appeal. This is going to appeal to a lot of people. It'd be a great kickoff item. You'll bring in a lot more money in the live than you would the silent and it gets our momentum going. So yes, it's very important not to have something that you're going to fall flat on your face. And if you do, make sure that you're, you've built your live auction in a wave type of pattern that if you do and you only get you get zero bidders on it, you can pass it, come back to it, but that you go back into this high momentum next item. What are some of the most exciting, unique, and uh, trending live auction items that you're seeing out there right now? I, I know it's, it's changed. Uh, the landscape has changed a little over the past number of years. Yeah, I would have to say um, dinner parties are really big at people's homes, uh, some who may be um, affluent or very important within the organization decides to host it, maybe gets the restaurant to donate the food or the chef to come into the house. So I would say it, those are very, very popular and bring in – and they're intrinsic. They, they don't have a set value of what they can bring in other than the actual cost of the food for 10 or 12 people. But they're very open-ended and it, it's a great opportunity to make a lot of money on those items that are very, very easy for an organization to put together. What kind of results are you seeing out there right now with the travel packages, with the consignment packages, say, you know, similar to what uh, Winspire provides, the high-end travel experiences? I think that, um, and I've been working with Winspire, wow, long time. I don't know how many years now, um, 15 years, something like that. Um, Years ago, I'd run into a lot of issues where people would say, we don't do consignment, we don't do this, we don't do that. And I, that landscape has changed dramatically, whereas people are seeing it as that there is a great opportunity for their for them to make money, the organizations to make money off of these items with little risk or no risk, actually, at all. And it's a turnkey package for the buyer. So they don't have to do a thing, which is one of the reasons that I think these are so successful. I usually will recommend a few based on if it's a small school versus a larger organization. I have different ones that I know over the years have sold very well, or I take the recommendations from Winspire of what has been moving, you know, in, in the area or around the country um, very quickly. But, you know, I would say like the New York package is a great one. There's winery ones. Um, the one-of-a-kind experiences, those are great. Uh, I think actually on my website, there's I'm selling 
the fighter jet, fighter pilot for a day, mm -hmm. there's a clip of me selling it. And it is amazing that the one-of-a-kind experiences, I think, are available to the organizations and those people in the audience that are going. It's, it's a real wow moment when you do offer those. I actually sold that fighter jet experience at an auction up in Canada not too long ago, and I said this thing has an ejection seat, so you might want to think about buying it for the mother-in-law. And then I realized <laughs> that I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Plenty of mother-in-laws buy that kind of thing now. <laughs> <laughs> actually, a, to a total aside, you talk about, about the mother-in-laws, and, and um, this was a neat event uh, I did for an organization back last summer, high-end car owners, and they were raising money for kids' cancer. And they had uh, two tickets to the Indy 500, and they sold to an 80-year-old woman in the audience who paid $40,000 to send her husband. Uh, he, it was a 60th wedding anniversary that they were celebrating. So she paid forty grand for two Indy tickets to send the husband. So I guess why I tell that story, and Cheryl, I know you've had lots of experience, and a message that clearly our nonprofits need to understand is you can never underestimate the capacity in the room. And lots of times we get organizations saying, there's nobody here who's going to bid on a Winspire package. Our crowd doesn't have that money. Uh, you can never assume that. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. And and when I do encounter that, and, and there's a lot of resistance from either the organizer or the committee, uh, usually what I will suggest at that point is if you're not ready to take that leap into the live auction, put some in your silent auction and let's see what happens. And sometimes if the items don't sell in the silent, I will pull them if there's no bid on it and offer it in the live. And, and doing that sometimes has been amazing because there may be maybe they put four or five Winspire items in their silent auction because they just weren't ready to do the live thing and then I would walk up to them and say okay you know you have three of these people three people have already bid on uh, on this item I have you know two other items that I, you know what do you think about me pulling them and putting them in the live and they go what the heck try it and it, they sell so it's interesting that again it's a good example of when you do a silent auction I, I'm one person trying to sell 200 items sometimes. When I'm in the live auction, I'm one person selling one item at a time. And you tell me where you're going to raise the most money when your focus is like that. So, um, And same thing with the people. You're asking all of your guests to focus on 200 items in an hour and a half versus a live auction. You're asking them to focus on one item in those couple of minutes. All great stuff. Uh, uh and I'm very thrilled to, to hear that you've been working with us for the last 15 years. This is Ian from Winspar, by the way. Um, what has your experience been uh, with doubling up, you know, maybe on consignment packages or even non-consignment packages, dinners? Uh, is that something you find yourself doing a lot of in live auctions? Absolutely. It's a conversation that I, I actually have my own proprietary uh, planning guide that I give to all of my clients. And it talks about just that. I, I, one of the things that I say is whenever you go out and solicit a donation, you always should ask for two. Don't be shy. Ask for two. Let them know that we'd like to be able to sell this to our two highest bidders and if we get into a bidding war. That's one thing. The second thing is, of course, on any Winspire item or any consignment, non-consignment, that's, again, something that I say to make sure it's clear on your sheet that the top two winners will win at the lower bid. Or when I'm in the live, I, I give them – I tell the – the bidders it's sometimes I'll even stop the bidding because I'm afraid I'm going to lose that second bidder and I might stop it and say you know what I want the organization to raise a lot of money so and I, I have two of these to sell so I want both of you to walk away with it today that's fantastic and you know I kind of want to loop back to real quick uh, 
to go revisit this idea of spending capacity uh, because I'm fascinated to know what it's like out there. You, you mentioned that you know there's nonprofits that might be scared to take that leap into the live auction offering high value items. You know, uh, maybe explain to me a little bit of the that uh, juxtaposition you've seen of the nonprofit's perception versus the actual spending ability of many of the auctions that you've you've been a part of. Well, it is true that you will hear frequently, we don't have anybody in our group that, or anybody in our, our parents or any of the people who would attend that would spend that kind of money. And I always remind them that you really don't know because it is a situation where people are very peer-driven during an event and that can, and people like to win. It, it's a, it, it's just the environment that people are in and you would always be surprised at what somebody will pull out even when they will tell you there's nobody there to do that. I think that they should think about the type of items that are up, not the value of the items. Because, for instance, like, you know, I do help my my clients select the right Winspire items. Sometimes they pick ones that I maybe, you know, I wouldn't think of. But for them, they're focused on their audience. And usually they're right when they do that. They take some well, my recommendations and then they go on their own too. But I think that people should stop looking at whether it's a consignment type of thing and look at the profit that they can make by marking it up because I always recommend a set amount um, higher than what Winspire recommends, but I recommend a, marking it up even higher, but still giving great value to the winning bidder wherever I start that bid. We have found a very successful uh, spot in the event for the high-end uh, packages, some of the great uh, travel experience packages, uh, a good home f- for those items, aside from the live auction, is putting them in a super silent auction. Uh, do you, do you uh, have super silent auctions at your events? I would say once in a while. I think those are a carryover from, what, from years ago. I found that um, generally from a, a, a silent auction, my own, this is my own experience of doing this for 20 some odd years is that th- as you progressively close your sections of the silent auction, it tends to be that your, your later sections, the ones you close last tend to get less bidders than your very first section. And that's not to say you should front load your first section and put everybody, but all the attention when you start that first closing tends to be on that first section. So, uh, you know, I don't put a lot of um, a thought. I mean, I don't put a, a lot of weight into groups doing a super silent because of that. I think that the silent auction, if you have that great of items in your super silent, they probably should be in your live where, again, you can have a one-on-one selling situation and a one-on-one focus of the crowd to the stage, to the item, to the auctioneer versus having it in a very noisy setting socially where a silent auction is. So that's just my take on it. All right. really For those be- uh, those listening to the uh, today's episode that may not know what a super silent auction is, the super silent is a dedicated uh, table or a couple of tables in the silent auction area. It kind of splits off and it's in its own little location uh, over near the rest of the silent auction items. It's got special signage. And this uh, we normally recommend to our clients if they've done a good job of their solicitations and have a lot of great donations for the live auction, but they 
have decided they only want to, say, have 10 or 12 items in the live auction. They don't want the live auction going on too long. Then we'll suggest they peel off some of those extra high-end donations and set them up in this special area called the Super Silent Auction. And then we just try and direct traffic there through the night from the stage. So uh, I, I guess it... it, it can work. Uh, it works well in, in our marketplace anyway. Uh, I want to talk to you, Cheryl, about how you conduct fund and items, uh, also known as uh, uh, cash appeals or fund and need. First of all, I'll start by asking you, what size of events do you think should hold a fund and item or a cash appeal? That's a very simple answer, every one of them. And I am amazed at when people come to me to inquire about my services when I ask them if they've ever done one before and either they say what is that or no we've never done that before and and I'm talking the smallest schools I do inner city I do rich school I do everything there is no reason why in a setting like that you shouldn't ask for money it's very simple and as I tell my groups you're not asking for the money I am as the auctioneer and a lot of the resistance I get is, well, we just did an appeal to all the parents, you know, by mail, or we just did it. That It doesn't matter. You're at an event. We're going to structure it differently. People are going to want to get involved in donating during this moment because I have a very unique structure of how I do it. Um, and I make it a very emotional um, connection. Great. Uh, Cheryl, it's obvious you do a lot of pre-planning with your clients and do an excellent job of consulting them in advance uh, of the event. Let's talk for a second now about uh, a question that you probably hear a lot of times from your clients is how do we sell tickets to our event? And let's focus for a moment here on table sales. What are your recommendations to make sure that we've got the right bums in those seats, people who are going to come and spend money at the event? Hmm, I have to say, I have to be honest on this one. Um, I don't get really involved with the ticket sales part of it because, again, I try to say to them that, you know, my focus is on the auction part. Um, with that said, however, I tell the one thing I do say is don't panic. I frequently will get emails or calls a week before the event saying, you know, we only have half the tickets sold. And I, I tell them it's an unfortunate part of events is that people wait till the last minute. And sure enough, they'll fill up the room. Um, so I guess I'm not the best person to answer that part of the question because I, I try not to get too involved in that other than, you know, telling them the usual ways, promote it on your website, um, promote it within the classrooms. Um, if you're doing a school, that's really, really important. Um, have, you know, have, have promote the items that you're going to have. That's really, I guess, my best uh, thing that I would say is that promote what's going to be offered and give people the opportunity to um, see what will be there. But also don't discount that people that can't be there and can't buy your tickets can also be people who can contribute greatly to your event. And I think, too, the importance of uh, storytelling. Make sure that you're communicating your organization's story when you're selling the tickets. Absolutely. The message of what you're doing and and how important it is to do that this event comes once a year and this is the big fundraiser and we need everybody's support on this and and all the all the great things that will be offered that, you know, at that event, too, to to be a part of and the great items. But, you know, playing up the great items, too, it always draws a lot of people. Sure. I want to loop back real quick, kind of on that note about storytelling. Uh, you mentioned your fund to need uh, or cash appeal, pa paddle raise, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, is 
you have a very uh, specific strategy that you employ. Uh, it's a very an emotional appeal. Maybe walk us through, uh, you know, what you usually do and when during the event you usually place it. Because I know there's some debate whether it should happen before the live auction, in the middle, or uh, at the end. I know uh, the styles can differ from auctioneer to auctioneer. But when when do you do it and how do you do it? So the first thing is, when do I do it? That does differ from auction to auction. I would say at least 95% of the events I do, I do the live auction first and then the appeal, the fund to need, whatever you want to call it. We'll call it an appeal right now. Um, so, And the reason I do that is because usually in the live auction, there's so much energy and people getting excited and they're outbidding each other. And, and then what I usually do is after I've sold that last item, I will have one of their somebody who has an emotional connection or a physical connection to whatever we're going to be doing the appeal about come up and speak for a minute or two just to draw in the crowd more and so I step away from the podium and allow them to talk about what the next part of our event's going to be which is this appeal and set up the appeal for me so I I would say like 95% of my events I do it after the live portion some organizations and I have a specific client that I've done for Oh gosh, 15 years, where they their live auction is very small, their silent auction is very small. The whole crux of their event is this appeal, and so I lead off with the appeal and end with the live auction, and a couple and others. And I do when that you're way. when you're asking people to raise their paddles, uh, do you start at higher amounts and come down, or how do you conduct your cash appeal or fund an item? So this is one that I work with the organizations very closely on in, in way ahead of time. And what I do is I send them a document that I want them to fill out that gives me um, different levels of what they want me to do in the ask. And the most important thing that makes it more proprietary towards what I do is I ask them to link something to that amount. I don't, I've been to many, many events as a spectator of auctioneers that I've felt left so much money on the table because all they did was call out numbers. All they did was start off, who's going to give 5000 Who's going to donate 3000 Who's going to donate 1000 It was boring. <clears throat> it wasn't engaging. And I think that was the old auctioneer style of doing. Right now, you have to engage your audience and give them ownership of what you're going to be doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Give them ownership of what you're going to be asking for. Let them get an idea of what do these things cost? Where is this money going to go? And I'm very careful to say that the money can be used towards these things. I don't want to lock an organization into having to spend that particular bid or pledge on that particular item. But I do link items or things or services to the different amounts. And I yes, I always start at a high amount that, that I've worked with the organization to come up with. And again, tying it to an item. And that's what it gives people that are sitting there wanting to, to raise their hand and say, yes, I want to buy um, new iPads for that classroom. And the other thing that I found in doing that is it gives people an opportunity to pledge several times because I may cover a different item or a different service like feeding 50. This When you raise your bidder card right now at the $5,000 level, you have just fed 50 families for a year. Okay, so now that person raised their hand for the $5,000. Now I get down to say a hundred dollars and I say um, I'm looking for people willing to pledge when you raise your hand you have just paid for meals for a family for the entire year for one family that person's hand goes up again so the way that I structure it putting it with an item gives a chance for multiple pledges 
and also makes it a lot more interesting and engaging for people to see what these costs are too. Those are some excellent strategies. We're uh, just about to wrap up here. I wanted to get your thoughts on timelines for the evening and setting up the agenda for the program. You and I have both participated in countless auctions where there were simply too many moving parts and too many courses during the dinner, the five-course meals, nonstop commotion out on the floor and the, the clatter and all that competition for the attention that we're desperately trying to seek out as the fundraising auctioneers. Um, so your thoughts on, on what you feel is the ideal timeline. I know it's going to be different for different clients or different nonprofits, but if you had to commit to what you think is the ideal timeline for an event, what would that look like? Always allow at least an hour and a half for your silent auction. Don't cut it any closer because your first half hour is a throwaway. So keeping that in mind, don't start your live auction any later than, boy, 8.15 because, again, people start to um, thin out. Babysitters have to go home, whatever the case may be. There's no – these are all my, my mantras here. There is no set rule that dessert and coffee has to be served right after dinner. Wait until after all the, the live auction and the appeal are over. Then have your waiters serve the dessert and coffee. And the reason I say that is because that usually will signal the end of an event. And, you know, save that to the end, to the very end. Get your money up front. Do everything you can. Save all your long speeches, everything till after your appeal or your live auction. Do introductions, do welcomes, do all of that, cover, you know, five, ten minutes of that. But any awards, speeches, people will always be respectful and stay for that portion of the event. They will not, however, always be respectful and stay for a live auction and appeal. So get your money up front. That's what I always say. Save all the accolades and all the other stuff that you've got coming, your entertainment, your gambling, if you're doing the casino nights, whatever. Save that all at the end. All right. Very good. Well, do you have anything that you would be prepared to offer our listeners today? I hope that you know I've given some really great ideas for them. And like I said, I have a, a auction planning guide I'll be happy to send. It usually I reserve that for my clients that have already booked me, but I'll be happy to send it. It's, it's over 70 pages of all my years of experience and things that work and suggestions wow. for getting donations. And um, it's kind of my my clients call it their Bible because I think it's been very helpful for them on every step of the way of focusing on how to put on a, a really great auction and make it very profitable. Wow. And you're willing to offer that free of charge to our listeners today? Absolutely. Fantastic. Wow. Well, yeah. How would they get in touch with you, Cheryl? Um, they can go to my website at, at partageryauction.com, P-A-R-T-A-G-E-R auction.com, or they can Email me at same thing, partage, sorry, auction, partage auction at gmail.com. Okay, so once again, the spelling on that is P A R T A G E R auction.com. Or they can just look up women auctioneers in San Diego, and I'm sure I'll be one of the top ones that'll come up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Cheryl Parker, great talking to you today. Uh, as I said, uh, first met you many years ago when we went through the first Benefit Auctioneer Summit uh, down in uh, or certification down in San Diego. I'm just thrilled to hear how you have taken your personality and your past experience as an art auctioneer and now you're doing so much good for so many organizations out there in the nonprofit space it's just been an absolute pleasure talking with you here today on events with benefits and thanks for taking the time to join us you're welcome and good luck to all the people out there raising money for great organizations 
Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time.